Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan at Rockefeller Center, Newsstand Studios, New York City. Rocking the panels here. We got Joe Hazen. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Great to see you. Sorry for last week. A hey, Ill. hey, hey. You know, you gotta. Uh, everyone's gotta stay safe. That's the new way it works these days. Uh, also in the uh, studio, we got uh, John. How you doing? Doing great, thanks. How's the restaurant doing? Uh, good. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Yeah. Temperance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything's going well. Everyone in the country has been but me, right? And Joe, actually. Uh, I figured this yeah. morning I should start writing on Joe, too. Yeah. And, you know. In, uh, in uh, California, in an automobile, going to try <laughs> to save Booker and Dax, the corporation, we have Nastasia Lopez. She'll say hello whenever she can probably unmute herself. So, you know, I'm not going to force her. Oh, I'm here. Oh, oh nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How's that going? How's saving, how's saving the day going? Um, fine. It's <laughs> fine. I'm not that yet there yet, but when I get there, I'll send you a photo of the check. Yeah. What I, what you should do is also see if you can like go in back and see if your mom still has lemongrass growing in the back. I want to see the lemongrass that uh, was somehow an emotional trigger for you as a child and caused you to. It's not there. It's not there anymore. It's not, oh, you you ripped it out or she ripped it out. I think they ripped it out. Yeah. But can't you imagine? Can't you just see yourself like one night like college like coming home like. In ripping out all the lemongrass and throwing it over. What what is it like in that part of California? Is it like cinder block walls between the lawns or like hedges between the lawns? How does it work over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cinder blocks. Yeah, and just throwing it over the cinder blocks, being like, little lemongrass. I could see you doing that. I would never do that. I'm a I'm a very good child. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. All right. Yeah, I told you this. So at home, of the three of you, you were the golden child. No, all three of us were. Your brother was the golden child. There was no golden child. Yeah, there were golden children. Uh, all right, there's, there's that, that doesn't work that way usually. There's always one. There's always one. Who was it? I'm not going to make you choose. What? There's always one who's the cut up. And it is, oh no, no. Yeah. All right. No. Okay. All right. I will let that lay where it is. And uh, we got uh, Jackie Molecules uh, in uh, L.A. Town. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah? yeah? Good. Yeah. And then from the Nimo, Vancouver Island, off the coast, uh, in the most northern westerly part of the Cooking Issues Kingdom, we have Quinn. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. I was the golden child. Yeah? Nice. Nice. Between me and my brother. Golden Child, not a good movie, by the way, but has some very good lines in it. You've all seen The Golden Child, right? Never even heard of it. No. What? Yeah. Am yeah, I, of course. Same. Yeah. You've never heard of The Golden Child? <laughs> no. Have you heard of this comedian, Eddie Murphy? Have you heard of Eddie Murphy? Who? Oh, God. You guys <laughs> suck. <laughs> so, is, of course that, I've heard of Eddie Murphy. Is that in your range, The Golden Child? No. It's probably... I don't know whether it's still okay to watch, but Eddie Murphy has to, like, save this Tibetan kid with all this stuff and the devil and all this. But the best is he goes into this uh, temple at the top of a mountain. It's probably horribly, probably unwatchable now. But he wants this knife, this magic knife. Joe, you're with me, right? And he goes, I want the knife. And they're like, you have to, like, rub these wheels. And he's like, I I, I, I want the knife. And then, like, and then they don't give it to him. And he goes... And he spins the wheel and goes, please. It's best. It's, it's, peak, it's peak Eddie Murphy, like, bad Eddie Murphy movie. 
You guys watch any Eddie Murphy movies? Yeah. Nutty Professor. Shrek. Nutty Professor? <laughs> Nutty Professor's classic. Shrek? I mean, Shrek's a great movie. I don't consider um, Changing Places, and then... Coming to America. Yes, there we go. Thank you, Jack. Okay. Yeah. All right. What about old, old school? What about uh, Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah, that's good, too. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Golden Child. All right. Uh, any good uh, cooking things happen to you guys in the past two weeks? Anything? 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 Is this going to be one of those things where afterwards... I've been cooking a lot. That's about it. Yeah? What? <laughs> you have been cooking a lot? What? Because Nastasia's going to say later, Jack had stories. Jack had stories, and you didn't let him say it. So here's your chance. No, no, I don't. actually don't have stories. Um, it's not very interesting. I've just been making more food than I usually do. Let's see. I did a cauliflower curry last night from the Mirasota book and a bunch of um, night market recipes from their yeah. book. Yeah. Cauliflower yeah. curry, is a, is a dry curry or a wet curry? No, wet curry. It, it is a wet curry or not a wet curry? It is a, it is a wet curry. Coconut milk wet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds good. But uh, what? Yeah. Uh, what? What's the primary spice that uh, is used in that recipe? What, what's the color of the, um, of the coconut milk? <clears throat> no, no turmeric. So it's not turmeric color. Coriander, cumin, um, garam masala at the end. A little uh, ginger, chili, garlic paste. The mortar and pestle. I've been increasing the chili in all my recipes by at least like twofold lately, and it's been working out well. All right, so I made chili beans. So, like, you, remember I published that uh, thing on beans a, a while back about how not mm. to have the toots with the beans. So I have a new technique to reduce yeah. the toots because it turns out like the the, the anti toot factor only makes it into the beans. This is going to make it back to to what 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 we were talking about. So I cook them in wicked, I add a little baking soda, tiny bit, just so that they cook really quickly. Don't bother soaking them. 45-minute cook, but in, like, massive amounts of excess liquid. Then I drain, I let it cool a lot, drain the liquid off, add the beano to that, and then reduce that. And I did made chili beans yesterday, and I added, or two days ago, <clears throat> and I added way too much chili for, my standard mix is, like, a mix of, like, ancho, Pasilla and guajillo chilies, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of my standard triples, and I'll add whatever else I have. But I guess I added like I added what what I would normally add to a whole pork shoulder, and I only did it to like a pound of beans. And so like I was like, this is fine, you know what I mean? But everyone else was like, Aah! so I had to add like two a, a regular pound of beans, which ends up multiplying by like one point eight or you know two point whatever it is three. I added. Freaking seven seven hundred and seventy grams of potato to try to soak up the extra spice, and it worked. But do you know what a pain in the behind it is to cook? Because I was like, I needed to do it right away. And if I was smart, what I would have done is I would have hacked up and boiled the potatoes for about ten minutes, and then throw thrown them, drain them, and thrown them in. Mm -hmm. But I was like, no. I, I don't know what I thought. I thought maybe because they were, if they were more porous or whatever, I was like, I, I got to do it. So I just hacked up the potatoes and threw it into the, into the already made chili with already had the tomato paste and everything. And then I was like, oh, snap. Hey, I was like, oh, snap. I can't freaking cook the potatoes because there's no convection current inside of the chili. And to get the actual top of the chili, the middle of the chili hot enough 
to cook the potatoes, I would have to burn the bottom. And I actually, you know, Chris Young's combustion engineering thermometer, he's going to come on. Quinn, when's, uh, when's he coming on? Uh, soon. <laughs> no, soon. No, that's a good time. Soon. So, like, so Chris has made this thermometer that has seven different sensors in it, right? Seven different sensors, like, all along its length. And you can get a readout. You have to ask for, like, the beta testing. It's not – the regular Jokomos don't have it yet. You will regular Jokomos have it soon. But, like, right now you need a beta, te- beta tester. And you can just get a readout of all seven sensors with no interpolation, no, you know, you know AI or any of that stuff. And I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, my God. The, strat- the temperature stratification in a pot of thickened beans is, like, 40, 40 degrees Fahrenheit. It's, it's nuts. Wow. So, like, and, and in order to, for the potato to cook, it's got to get over 185. So, anyway, it took me, instead of that, like, eight minutes it would have taken me to boil those potato chunks until they were al dente. Uh, it was like an hour. It was like an hour or more. And I was like, oh, my God. So I threw it into my steam oven to try to steam it from all sides to get it to work. It was just a freaking nightmare. But I will tell you, Jack, it did soak up the extra spice. So the spice level was good after I was done. I had to add more salt. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. Have you, do you, are you familiar with the Yondu? Mm, good product. No. We got to get those guys to be a sponsor. I love that product. I add Yondu to everything. If you, if you want to add umami... But you don't want it to taste like soy. If you want it to taste like soy, go to the Maromi people because that stuff's delicious. Yep. Right? But if you don't want it to taste like soy sauce, Yandu is a good product. We have a caller? Caller, you're on the air. Hello? Hey. What's up? Hi. Hi. Sorry. Can you hear me? Oh, I can. Yes. Hi. How are you? Doing well. Oh, great. Great. Good to hear so uh, I am looking into uh, uh, outdoor deep frying, and I was looking at the Cajun fryer that you recommended that 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 Wiley's used, and uh, uh, what what the website said was due to supply chain issues, none of our items have diamond plate aluminum anymore. Hmm. Blah 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 blah. So I'm I'm wondering if you have a solution for outdoor deep frying without buying like a commercial unit. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So for those that don't know or haven't heard me like go on and on and on about this before, sure. uh, commercial deep fryers beat the snot out of any other frying method. Period. And if you want to have the same quality that you can get out of a commercial deep fryer inside and uh, not ruin your oil instantly, right, by overheating it and then dropping it, overheating it and dropping it, you need to only fry right, like two French fries at once. Zone. Yeah. 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 Right. So the Cajun fryer was what we had said. Wiley uses it. The only problem is it doesn't have a, a thermostat, so you have to kind of hand dial it in, right? Um, uh, sure, is is but it that, good outdoor? Right. So I had a commercial unit outdoors, but I will tell you this. Commercial units aren't built to be outdoors. Does Cajun Fryer still sell it? They just don't have the drop-down lid, or do they not sell any no, units they, at all? They, like, it's literally like they – like I went to the website. I tried the other off-sites, and it's not, it's not available right now. Uh, well, 
Look, most people I know who do outdoor frying, like, they'll get, like, a, a wok burner or a candy stove and then, you know, just, like, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so, so, sorry to cut you off. Mm-hmm. I, I just, uh, yeah, so I have, I have one, like, a, you know, like an outdoor turkey fryer uh, unit. And, and for some reason, uh, there's a, it, it defeats it at 350. And so, so I had to use a bungee cord to hold in the, the, the button such that I could reach, you know, 425 to drop the turkey. Ooh, well, you shouldn't need to get, you shouldn't need to get it that hot. Right. So, okay. So like one of the reasons you have to overheat oil, like wicked overheat oil inside, right. Is that you simply don't have the BTUs to keep oil at the frying temperature during the initial period when it's when it's going down. So the miracle of a of a commercial fryer or like one of these Cajun things is that it just has such a high gas output, right? And it has such a large yeah. a large amount of oil, right? That your oil your temperature drop just isn't as severe as it would be on a stove, right? Because uh, I forget, but you know, my my gas fryer was somewhere in the neighborhood of eighty thousand BTUs, right? Somewhere in the neighborhood of eighty to one hundred thousand BTUs on a forty pound on forty pounds of oil, so it could heat that whole pound of right. uh, that whole batch of oil up in in five five and a half minutes, right? Right, quick, right? Yeah, yeah. So you don't need to heat your oil up to a zillion degrees. If your recovery time is fast, you only need to do that if you need to build in a lot of extra thermal energy into the oil itself because your heating element is not strong enough. So 350 seems low. That's, I mean, if, yeah, it, that's that's the issue. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Three, 350 is high enough for a turkey because turkeys are going to be cooking for a long time, right? So you don't really ever need it to be yeah, that but the high. Problem is, yeah, but the problem is if you drop it at 350, then then the oil temp's gonna drop super low, and then it's gonna have to build up back up to the to the ideal frying temp, like three fifty, three seventy five. Right, but remember, right. you're and gonna so, be you're gonna be so, cooking for how long though? You're gonna be cooking for like a long time. Forty five minutes. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, like a couple of minutes a drop on a forty five minute cook isn't a big deal if turkeys is what you're doing. Uh-huh. It is a big deal if you're doing. Crab cakes or French fries or yeah yeah that's that's the thing I'm, I'm not just using this for turkey right. I'm, I'm also doing you know fries and whatnot right but remember turkey is a massive 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 thermal load right massive and your the oil is getting all on the inside that's- and all on the outside huge thermal load right so. Right. First of all, I don't understand how this thing is controlling the temperature because all of the turkey fryers that I've used are just like a burner, and they will ignite you in your house. Maybe, maybe it's like a super—I don't know. It, it's my dad. It's like maybe it's like a super ghetto, you know. Well, I don't know. Or, don't know or, or super know. expensive, <laughs> super expensive, safe, right, one. Like I would say, right. like the ones that I have, the cheap ones I have, are perfectly happy to let you incinerate you, your house, your life, your—you know what I mean? Uh but you know, and so if what, what would you recommend for like, like, let's say I'm trying to put out, you know, like, uh, like a bunch of fries, a bunch of chicken, and maybe a whole fried 
uh, fish or something like that. Well, what would you recommend now? Uh, considering the Cajun fryer isn't available, what's your... Uh, right. I mean, I'm not going to say this is safe because it's not, but you can go ahead and get... Uh, I forget the name of it, but they're extremely popular in Louisiana. They come in a bunch of different sizes. They're aluminum... Uh, like uh, uh, like oven roasters, but they're big. I forget who makes them. Mm. I can I can picture them in my mind. They have like scalloped. That lid has like a, like scallop handles on the side. And if if you look up like okay. favorite Louisiana pot and get the biggest one humanly possible, okay. and they use them outside yeah. to make like rice. They use them outside to. But that is big and aluminum, so it's it, it's big aluminum and thick. So it it can conduct. And uh, aluminum heat. means yeah, it'll it'll heat quick. Right, and and yeah. so and then put that over like uh like they have outdoor candy stoves or like camp stoves with a high output. Like I'm talking, like I'm saying, like and you need to have yeah, a candy stove. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. But yeah. be careful. <laughs> but be careful, and you need to have the right regulator I mean, for it so that it can uh, actually output the the heat to eat. But again, be careful. I'm I'm as careful as you are. Uh, <laughs> be more careful than me, and, and make sure you have a side table. Uh, you know, uh, a cu- couple of side tables, like one for raw and one for cooked, so that you know you have a good workflow as you're as you're going. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have tables and I have like like uh, like like sheet trays with racks. All right, and, all right, yeah. Let us know yeah. how it works, but please stay safe. I cool. hesitate to. Uh, okay. And then when the Cajun comes back uh, oh, online, yeah, go get no, it. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. I'm, I wish I'm I could not, remember the I'm name not of that pot. Super dangerous. But I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. no, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Thank, right. thank you very much. All right, no problem. Have a good one. Uh, that's old school. Old school. Uh, old school. Do you remember uh, that that lady who used to? Uh, so, it, it, so for those of you that grew up like recently, people of like a, you know the younger generation, we used to have actual telephones that were connected to <laughs> wires, right? And if you lifted up the phone, you didn't have to, like, press anything. If you lifted up the phone, you got what's called a dial tone. And then if you didn't do anything for, like, 20, 30 minutes, and then it would go, if you need help, hang up and dial the operator. Well, (laughs) if I need help, how the hell am I going to hang up and dial the operator? But her voice is, like, burrowed into my head. If you need help... And it was the same lady all across the country with that thing. The way she said, help, help, I need help. And then the great thing is you can hang, you can, you can hang up on people. That voice was. Yeah, who was that? Let's find yeah. out. I'm just fine. I, I, I'll, I'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but that, eh, 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 actually, I think she says that first, and then it goes into the, eh, 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 eh. first it goes, boodle deep, boodle deep, and then it was, eh, eh, eh. you know what I mean? Uh, old phone noses. I love it. I love it. When I was a kid, people used to, uh, they used to be called phone freaks. Remember this? Anyone? Phone freaks? And they would, you, you know what DTMF is? Dual tone. So like when you press a phone button, it sounds weird because there's two different tones on it so they can decode what button you're pressing based on noises. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And so people would have special boxes that would make the, these, like, these tones. They couldn't be made with the pad, but they told the phone company something so they could get free calls and stuff. Huh. Those were the days. Anyway, uh, from, uh, oh, one more thing. Uh, hey, Dave, real quick, real yeah. quick, just so to close the loop on this. Her name is Jane Barb. She was an American voice actress and singer, and she was known as the time lady for the recording she made for Bell System and the phone companies. Wait, so it was her voice. Give me her, give me her name again. Give me her name again. 
Jane Barb, B-A-R-B-E. What kind of songs did she sing? I want to know. I want. I want to. I mean, um, yeah. Put that on our Spotify I mean, list. She's most available. known for the. Uh, she's she's most known for the phone stuff. So I don't know if her music ever really went anywhere. But did she do she a jazz a version? because of the. I want a jazz version. If you need <laughs> help, know. if you need help, hang up and call the operator. That's what I want. Barb, Barb. Uh, by the way, someone, uh, my did I say this on air? My wife was watering the plants of the neighbor next door, and as she was flying back through Dubai, she went to the duty free and got us these dates from Medina. Have you had Ajwa like Medina d- dates? Nope. So good, yeah, real good, real good. I highly recommend them. They're they're uh, like they're. I don't consider them necessarily a dessert date. I think they're maybe like a with coffee date. They're like the date you want with coffee, right? And get this. These are the dates, specifically this variety, these dates, were the dates that the Prophet Muhammad was like, this is the date from paradise, right? So whatever you believe about that, think about the fact that for over a thousand of years, people have been growing this date and perfecting this date, thinking that this is the date that the Prophet Muhammad said is the date. So think of how delicious those dates are. Delicious. I thought you were going to say that was the somehow that you knew it was the date from Indiana Jones or something like that. No, that's the poison yeah. date. Bad dates. <laughs> Talk another problematic movie franchise. <laughs> but uh, bad dates. That's the classic. That mm-hmm. monkey. The monkey died with his own date. It's true. You know. Yeah. Mm. Here you go. The number you have reached has been disconnected. Uh, yeah. You got to get the one that she where she says, if you need help. Get the one where he says, if you need help. I love it. The, the time lady. Yeah, all right. Uh, and lastly, uh, I put on the Instagram, or second to lastly, I put on the Instagram uh, my, uh, my current, to talk more about Breaking Wind, uh, and Nastasia, of course, is the queen of, of uh, serving sunchokes to people who don't know any better. Queen of it. Queen of it. So I did a bunch of research on how to get the inulin is the is what is in sunchokes, aka Jerusalem artichokes that cause you to to have gastrointestinal distress. And it's not just toots, people. It's like that upper abdominal like expansion that you can't get out. You can't burp it. You can't toot it. It's just in there pushing from all directions. And holy holy smokes, is it? Remember painful. after we ate that whole plate of it at uh, at Crown Chai? Oh, I do. Yeah. I forgot, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right here, right in like a mid-abdomen. It's like very it, uncomfortable. It's like alien growing inside of you. It's the worst. So uh, that's inulin, uh, the same stuff that breaks down into fructose uh, when they take agave and roast it for infinity. So if you can't roast it for infinity, it turns out that acid plus heat, right? So the, the trick is is to squeeze lemon over it before you cook it, right? So dice it fine so that you can get the lemon all up and, you know, d- disc it. You know, cut it into discs, rinse it, cut it into discs, then toss it in lemon juice, right? Then I pressure cook it because I'm not messing around. I want to cook the hell out of that inulin. I don't want the gastrointestinal distress. So a 15-minute pressure cook when it's been tossed in, in lemon, and then afterwards you can puree it. If you want to neutralize the acidity, although I don't know why you would because the, acidity, because the sweetness comes out, so the acidity is nice with it. And at that point, you can mount it with uh, butter or cream and, and alliums of your choice. And it's real good. And I've eaten a lot of it as a test. And I have to tell you, I'm very sensitive to these things. And it caused me no problems. No problems. So today we are your anti-toot 
your anti-toot uh, people. There we go. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, you know what else I did uh, over the break? Every January 14th, both my kids' birthday, oh. for, for the past, I don't know, like 12, 13 years, they've wanted, maybe 10, 12 years, they've wanted sushi for their birthday dinner. And so I have to do the whole, I have to do the whole, the whole thing. You know what I mean? But Booker only really wants salmon products. So I get all of these other things, and then he, he by himself eats an entire half kilo of Ikura. By himself. I, I, I go around, I was like, did anyone else have Ikura? And, like, you know, D- Dax is like, no. Jen's like, I had maybe, like, one spoonful. I was like, I didn't. And then th- th- that evening, gone. Half kilo. That's 500 grams. That's over a pound of fish eggs, and the only reason he didn't eat more is because we only bought the half-kilo container and not the kilo container, right? Because uh, it's coming in. Oh, my God. There's been a shortage of Ikura, of Chum uh, Ikura, over the past couple of years, so the price has just gone through the freaking roof. I also did a side-by-side taste of Aura King salmon Mm. and regular salmon from Aquabest, and I didn't say anything, so I just did, you know, I did my, I do what I always do, which is I skin it and then cook the skin separately, Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a two to one salt sugar, you know, on the on the fillet. I, you know, I take out the I take out the bloodline on the on the skin side and uh, and then I, I cut it into the into the top piece and the and the loin slash belly piece. Sometimes if the belly is real thin, I'll chop off the belly and roast it and eat it myself. But I have those two, two pieces and then I'll salt, you know, salt sugar two to one. Uh, and then I wet a paper towel in rice vinegar and then you know squeeze it so it's just damp and then wrap it in the rice vinegar and then air dry it or with the towel around it in my fridge for a couple of hours that's my standard so i did that to both and i just put them out and the aura king just got pounded like the aura king was like gone and only a couple slices of the other one i didn't even say anything yeah so that was my uh, count rumford originally did that with uh i think it was count rumford he did that with uh, or no pepan pop whatever his name is popane did this when he invented the pressure cooker. He put pressure cooked lamb and not pressure cooked lamb roast out, uh, and then didn't say anything and just see which one got eaten. And the pressure cooked one got eaten. Mm-hmm. Denny Papan, I think, not Papan, Shock Papan. Although our thing is up, right? Quinn. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, your recipe is up. All right. So uh, with that said, you want to uh, promote the Patreon membership, and we'll get to some questions from the Patreon folk. Yeah, Patreon. Excuse me. Uh, patreon.com slash cooking issues uh, give it a join there's a couple different membership levels you get different perks at all the membership levels you get access to videos you get prioritized uh, questions answered you can call in live to the show you get discounts uh, with partners that we work with like kitchen arts and letters we sh- we're due for uh, classics in the field day speaking of which aren't we alright yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also if you want something if you're on the Patreon ask us we'll see if yeah, we can do it request them, yeah put a request yeah absolutely yeah. so yeah join uh and we were supposed to have uh, uh, Carolyn Schiff last week, but we had to cancel. Well, don't worry, we're going to have her back on so you can ask all of your... Uh, she wrote a book, uh, what was it called? Sweet Sourdough? Sweet Sourdough? I think so. Sweet Side of Sourdough. Sweet Side of Sourdough. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Questions in from Apple Bottom Beans. And that's, you, know, you know whoever you are? Now that song's in my head. How am I supposed to answer your question? You know what I'm saying? That song is now in the head, and I can't get it out. Anyway, uh, did Dave ever eat that vintage canned lard? I have not eaten it yet, mainly because uh, I need to find a group of people who will eat it with me. 
You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's, there's three kinds. There's like, there's the people who are like, not that interested in doing a lard tasting in general. Like Dax is just not that interested. So I've done all these like lard biscuits versus butter biscuits versus, uh, I made a vegetarian lard that, you know, like something that acts like lard, but isn't. And most people like the flavor of the butter so much that they don't care about the texture interest of the lard. Right. Uh, so I haven't found anyone who's like super stoked about it yet. Shocking. I mean, but what the hell's going to go wrong? Yeah, no, I don't know. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I've not eaten it yet, but you know what? It's only getting like from a percentage age basis, only marginally older as it sits in my house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if it's already 80 years old, 80 years in two months, that's like nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if I only held, even if I held it for another ten years, that's still less than like that's like ten percent so of its life. You know what I mean? Anyway, uh, Fup Jack, a question for the next tangent, man. You've hit it. Uh, I've seen uh, all tangent Tuesday. Uh, I've seen recipes for using wafer irons to make wafer cookies, uh, but in my experience, they usually turn out more like PCLs. Definitely thin, but not the same stackable level of crisp as commercial wafer cookies like Keebler sugar wafers or the crunchy uh, layers in a coffee crisp. You hear that, Quinn? Coffee crisp. You with me? Yeah. Yeah. What about like uh, what's the one that we? What's the brand that we get? The German one. The, the you know what I'm talking about these wafer cookies. It's like it's like basically flavored Oreo filling and then wafer Oreo filling wafer Oreo filling wafer Oreo filling okay. wafer. They like there's an Italian one too. What's the Italian one style? It's like quadrati or something. There's, oh yeah, yeah. Quadratini. Quadratini. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love, I love those things. Yeah, I, I also like the really crappy ones that I get at the supermarket, where like the bottom of the bag is all filled with dust, and it's got that fake strawberry flavor. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh my god. And it's like, it's like, it's like a. Eating quick when you were a kid. Remember, you, remember you just eat quick. Is I that never say, did that. No. Oh come on, man. I never did. You never ate quick. No. Really? Really? And you never, when you were a kid, made a faux icing by beating together butter and quick? No. What about butter and strawberry quick? No. Okay. I'm going to pretend to believe you. I, I, that never even occurred to me until right now. That doesn't sound terrible, but I also never just shoveled quick powder into my mouth. What about tang powder? No, tang wasn't really a thing for me. Damn. Yeah, sorry. Man, we had just different lives growing up. Yeah. Did you cut... Hot dogs in half and watch them curl in the toaster and call them sea sausages? No. No? Did I mean, you... I'd, do, I'd cook them in the pan and I'd see them curl. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fried Not bologna sandwiches? No. Are we in the same world? <laughs> I was like I was, uh, I was in uh, Jersey the other day because I was Museum of Food and Drink is selling its uh, fortune cookie machine. And I had to go try to turn it on, and mm-hmm. they didn't have the right power, so I was only able to turn on some of it. But— I was by the White Rose System Diner, which is, you know, along with White Mana, like the two kind of slider joints in that area. Yeah. So I got one of their sliders. It was good. And, but I got one of their uh, Taylor ham, which is a pork roll, egg, potato, cheese on Kaiser sandwich. And it was good with ketchup, which is the official how you're supposed to get it there. No arguments. I was like, how am I supposed to get it? He's like, first time here. I'm like, yes, first time here. <laughs> and anyway, so like he throws the slices of, uh, of, the, of the Taylor ham, which is like, you know, a pork roll. It looks like bologna slice, right? On the griddle. And they start cupping, right? And I'm like, is this guy a jerk? Does this guy think I'm a jerk? Right? You know what I mean? Like, 
Does this guy, has this guy never cooked anything in his life? Does he not know how this works? And then, without looking, he takes his spatula, without looking, just goes, bam, 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 perfect Pac-Mans, each one, like perfect Pac-Man, <laughs> each one of the slices, after it started cupping, I was like, oh, he's done this, he's done this. Not, not like a miss, not like a, not like a little off on the side, not, perfect Pac-Man. I was like, okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, back to uh, Pete Sales. You know, when I was a kid, my stepfather had three maiden aunts, right? Meaning they never got married. They all lived together in, in Medford outside of Boston. And, you know, they all were, you know, had their various levels. But even after, like, they were basically blind, they would make Pete constantly. So I would show up and you would just get, like, giant piles of Pete So like, if you never had one before... They're like a flat, uh, sweet, thin, crispy cookie, right? My family, we never rolled them. We had them flat. You know what I mean? Joe, you, you grew up with these things? No, I never did. No, but they're, they're kind of, they're weird because they, they, they have like a shape in them. They're molded in like what's a waffle iron, but they're not like, they're, they're crunchy all the way through, but it kind of looks like a, like a flour, like a doily almost. It looks kind of like a doily. Would you say that's any of you guys PTL people? Anyone? Quinn? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a yeah. pistol person. Yeah. All right. So am I accurately describing this to your, to your mem- yeah, memory as well? Like, yeah. It's like, it's like embroidered. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, but it's sweet. It's got sugar in it and egg typically. Right. And so it is, it's because it's like fairly high in sugar. It's also really moldable. So some people mold them into shapes and whatnot. I, we didn't, you know, I mean, we ate them flat. You know what I mean? Uh, but they're delicious. Mm-hmm. But what Fupjack wants is uh, more like the wafer cookies that are that we were talking about before, and those don't have any sugar in them, right? Those are uh, completely almost dead uh, neutral, and you can buy those crackers, by the way. Uh, in fact, in Eastern European shops here in New York, um, they're called uh, what are they called? They're called like uh, oblatne, and you, but and they're huge. They're like they're like bigger than 11 by 17 inches. They're big. And the, the waffle pattern's a little thicker. But I bought some for Miley, my sister-in-law, who we have to have on the show. And I was like, I want you to make me a giant wafer, like giant wafer. Uh, and she hasn't done it yet. But uh, so what I would say is, is I would look up, instead of what um, you're currently looking up, I would look up another Italian product that I've never had from a Molise, where I've never been. And uh, called uh, Osti, which is their unsweet wafer, right? And those recipes, which you can make in a uh, in a pizza iron, I think, uh, is like 500 grams of flour and 750 milliliters of water and a little bit of oil. You're gonna have to oil the hell out of the pan too, and then a pinch of salt, and that's it. And so I think that's the the secret. So you're gonna want to make something. I mean, you could maybe add egg, but that's gonna soften it. So I wouldn't, right? It's just I think just a flour and water batter. And I looked at. Um, some of the uh, oblatne recipes that, uh, you know, not recipes, uh, ingredients lists online. And similarly, like they might add some alternate starch like maize, but it's basically flour and water and then, you know, a little, little bit of oil. So uh, I think that's going to be the, the secret. And when it comes time to make the filling, I will say this. A perfect uh, sandwich cookie filling is made to not melt uh, no matter kind of how hot your kitchen gets, because think about it, they got to ship Oreos and these wafers everywhere, and they don't know how hot the truck is, right? So they have a very special fat that they use for sandwich filling. Now, if you look online at different recipes for sandwich cooking uh, cookie filling, like King Arthur uh, 
flour has a 100% shortening base. And some people don't like it because it's 100% shortening base, right? Some people do 100% butter. And the problem with 100% butter is it's way too soft. So unless you can store it in a place that's cool, it's going to out on you uh, when it stores, right? I recommend in my sandwich cookie uh, filling, I use a mixture of butter and coconut fat because coconut fat, unless your kitchen gets very hot, coconut fat is going to stay solid, right? So if coconut fat stays solid in your kitchen, which most likely it does, then uh, coconut fat, a mix of coconut fat and butter, then you won't have to use, you can use shortening, but then you won't have to use uh, shortening uh, for your your filling. What do you think? Yeah, good answer. Okay. Uh, All right. Um, Dave Kleiman, recently I wanted to make a batch of Biscoff, which I guess is like the Speculos from... Uh, yep. Yeah. What's the name of that place? Maison, the place in... in, uh, in Maison d'Andre. Oh, my God. So you go into this place, and I don't, I don't know who buys it. Who buys the, the, the like, three-foot-tall cookies? Oh, I don't know. But these... These Speculos cookies... Speculos? Speculos? Speculos. Speculos. All right. They're, like, they're thin. Yeah. Right? Crispy. Crunchy, right? Delicious. Brown, not burnt. No. Right? But, and they mold them in various, with various pictures, and they have all the molds throughout the shop. But some of them, like I said, are like three feet high. I'm like, how am I getting that cookie? Forget an airplane. How am I getting, how how do I get that cookie home a block? If I live a block away, how am I getting that cookie home? What do you know? You know what I mean? Yeah. You ever seen anyone buy one of those giant cookies? No, I haven't, but I also haven't spent enough time there to to know that. But yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't know. They, I know what you're talking about. They are excessively big. Yeah. I mean, if I could speak Flemish or French, right, and I went in there, I would, you know, with whatever the equivalent local accent is, be like, yo, who's buying this? What's going on? Who's going to be so afraid of damaging that in transport? They're so brittle. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like the most yeah. brittle thing. Like, you look at them, they break. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they're delicious. Um and so uh, that's what uh, Dave's trying to make, in which the recipe calls for toasted sugar. All right. Uh, so I'm assuming what you say you're doing is you're putting the sugar in an oven at 300 degrees Fahrenheit uh, and stirring it to kind of get a caramelization, which kind of harkens back to McGee. McGee used to do stuff where he would put sugar crystals into the oven, at like large sugar crystals into the oven at uh, low temperature for very long times and get them to caramelize uh, at those low uh, temperatures. Um, and you say, is there a time temperature chart for the Maillard reaction as it applies to toasted sugar? Well, it's, it's, caramelization is a different reaction, right? It's not a protein reaction. Um, I'm willing to do, for example, I'm willing to do 140 degrees Fahrenheit for five weeks if it means I never have to stir, but will eventually come out golden brown and remain granulated. Uh, but would it? So I, I would look up Harold McGee's article on uh, cooking sugar in the oven, but I will say how they do it in the real life in Belgium. And what they do is they make something called candy sugar, C-A-N-D-I, sugar. And it's a Belgian brown sugar, but it's not brown sugar made from molasses. It's a caramelized sugar. And it's used in brewing, and I believe it's also the same stuff that's used in these cookies. And it's not that hard to make. So what you do is you take sugar and water. It doesn't really matter how much water because you're just using that to turn it into a solution, right? And acid. And what the acid's doing is it's inverting the sugar because Belgian candy sugar is inverted, right? And then you cook it until you achieve the color you want. Right? Careful. Don't burn it. Cook it till you achieve the color you want. Then pour it uh, onto a silpat in a pan. Let it crystallize, right? Which it will. It'll become hard like a caramel candy, right? And then just pulverize it. Hit it with a, hit, you know, hit it with a hammer or a rolling pin and then throw it into a food processor and go whackity, whackity, yackity, schmackity and sift it. And there you have it. Uh, you know, that's, that's what they use. Or just go buy Belgian candy sugar. 
right? That's another way you could do it. Because, like, you can also make your own Belgian pearl sugar when you're making Liège waffles, which everyone should make Liège waffles. It, I mean, actually, you know what? Do you have a regular human being waffle iron, John? I think so. I think so. You've got to test whether you can actually make a, a real Liège waffle or even a real, like, Brussels-style waffle in a standard waffle iron if you allow it, if you allow, like, five minutes in between waffles. Yeah. Like, if you try to make back-to-back waffles, it's not possible. Yeah. I have the wearing one from the FCI, I think. Yeah? Yeah. I'm going to run some tests. I'll give you a recipe. You run some tests. Yeah. Or or you can come over in in all your free time, chef, and then we we can do (laughs) side-by-side between the two two waffle irons. Because it would be good to know if you could make uh, a waffle that's the same out of a home iron that you could out of the ridiculous iron. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to say no, but we can try. We could try. I mean, I think the, the issue, like I say, is, is that, um, you know, even I have to wait a couple of minutes. If I want them perfect, because I'm in, in a 120 socket, I have yeah. to wait a couple of minutes in between, and mine takes, tw- you know, 15 to 20 minutes to heat up. Yeah. You know what I mean? We have a caller? Caller, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Josh from Norfolk here. How you doing? Doing well. Uh, so, quick clarification question. Um, I've got a bartender that made a uh, lovely syrup uh, with, among other things, uh, powdered turmeric, mm-hmm. um, which I would like to get unpowdered. Uh, so, my question is, do I need to add anything to that to get it to come out in the spinzol? And should I be worried about it uh, turmericing up the spinzol? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. You should be worried about, you should always be worried about turmeric staining things because, that's what it does. Like, it's the terminator of staining things in your kitchen. Like, it makes beets look like, like, like they're stain-free. It makes beets look like OxyClean, turmeric does. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not going to hurt anything, though. Um, I would say uh, it would be good if there was something else in there that, that it could cling to. But I would, in the spinzol, do it in batch mode. Right. So uh, what I mean is like, don't try to do continuous mode. I would do it batch by batch. Have you tried that? And it's not coming out. No, I, I literally, she uh, just came in and showed me it. And I was like, oh, I know I got a call about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the other thing I would say is that uh, how much syrup do you have? Uh, only about 400 mils. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Spin you it, know, if we make it. it as a prep item, it's yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. but I was what I was saying is, right, is that like um, what what I would do in general is I would put it in a long cylindrical thing, and then I would let it sit for it if you have the time, let it sit for a day or two, then rack off the top part, and then just spin the rest, and then you know it's just easier on your on your production that way. Oh sure. No. Uh, do you think I should throw any like kind of sand kiesel salt in there, or do you think it'll be fine as is? Not going to help. It's not going to help. I mean, Heard. you could do it if you want, but it ain't going to help. If you have other things in there, right, that, that like fruit or other things that are suspended that require chitosan uh, and or kieselsol, then having those things settle out along with it will help make the pellets more solid. That is true. But if there's nothing else in there other than turmeric, then nah. Nah. Another thing you might want to do is if, if she's using powdered turmeric, um, you know what? If you use powdered turmeric and you're happy, I wouldn't move to fresh turmeric because it's different flavor and then it's not going to be – the product's not going to be shelf-stable. You know what I mean? Powdered turmeric should be shelf-stable. Yeah, 
Yeah, we got some fresh turmeric into play with it as well, but I figured I would try the easy solution first. Yeah, yeah. Fresh turmeric is going to be delicious, even more stainy and uh, it, different, but also not stable. Like uh, you know, it it, it might go through. A, it might come back. I don't know. It might go through an awkward phase. Like some things go through an awkward phase. And some things just, you know, go downhill, you know, uh, and I've never, I've never, it's strange. I've never aged my turmeric chin long enough to know if it comes back out the other side delicious again, because I drink it so fast. You know what I mean? I do love, well, I do love turmeric. I've got plenty of storage space, so I might have to do that as well and let you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do a test. Let us know. It'd uh, be good for me to know. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, on, on spins all, by the way, uh, you like that? We got a, we got a, we got an update from our factory, right, Quinn? Yeah, we have, uh, well, do you want to say? All right. Well, you know, we, we, for those that don't know, uh, Booker and Dax, we built, uh, a centrifuge for bars and restaurants and, uh, no one wanted it. And then, uh, we, when we finally built up a market so that people wanted it, the factory changed hands and we lost the ability to make it. So uh, we finally are getting the ability to make it this year. They say they're going to make it this year. Um, but I wanted to move away. The old one had what's called an interlock in it. And the reason is, is because in a regular Cuisinart, when you open it, the blade stops because why wouldn't it? In this, when you open it, it's got a, a, a rotor full of you know juice. The rotor plus juice together weighs something close to a kilo. And it's spinning, you know, fast. And so it doesn't slow down immediately. And, and there's no way to slow it down immediately. Um, and you for, don't want to. And you don't want to. No. But it may be even like as an emergency, once you open the lid, you can't slow it down quickly for reasons that are too long and boring. But the answer is because uh, you're required by code that actually opening the lid disconnects the motor. And once you disconnect the motor, I can't even do an electronic brake on it. Right. So. Uh, I need to design it such that you can't open it when it's spinning. So the original Spinzol has an electronic interlock in it with a solenoid, and this solenoid, Quinn, John? Super bad. Annoying. Super annoying. <laughs> yeah, one of the biggest failure points of it is this thing. So uh, one of the things we did is we designed a mechanical interlock so that you don't need to... Um, you don't need to have electronics. You just have a little wrench that allows you to open the lid when it, you know, when it stops, but you can't take the lid off when it's running. Uh, and they finally agreed to make it, and they sent us a mock-up. There we go. It's not quite what I wanted, but it's close enough. Okay. You know? Nice. Yeah. Finally. So, yeah, spins all update for you for you people. And uh, Sears All Pro update for you people. Uh, we They they said they weren't going to ship any before uh, the uh, Lunar New Year, but in fact they did ship uh, a portion of them before Lunar New Year, so they're on their way, right? Yeah, roughly 300. Yeah. I'm still working on the... Um, tracking notifications, but those should be in people's inboxes soon. Nice. All right. Uh, from Wizmerd, question. Tis the season for wild mushrooms, uh, at least out on the West Coast. Uh, many moons ago, you spoke of a long, boring mushroom chapter in your next book. True, both long and boring. Uh, because we're clearly going to have to wait at least a year to read us, give us a little teaser of some of your shroom cookery insights, please, and thanks. Um... See what can I what can I say that uh, okay uh, this seems obvious but I think isn't obvious and it's not beaten into people's heads enough. You cannot overcook a mushroom. I'll say this again. You cannot overcook a mushroom. Let me say it a different way. There is not a way to cook a mushroom too long. 
but you can dry out a mushroom and then it's ruined. So as long as you have more, so like most times when you think of a mushroom that's overcooked, you're actually thinking about, and by the way, I don't mean like you can't overcook a truffle, right? Which is where the, the aroma is gone. I'm talking texture standpoint. Mushrooms go through the vast majority of their textural and size changes around um, 60 to 65 degrees Celsius, a lot lower than you'd think, right? So, like, those transformations take place at a relatively low temperature, uh, and then any change that takes place after that is only marginal, and they'll continue, unlike a protein, which uh, when you cook it— uh, at, a, at a high temperature for a long time gets drier and drier. Mushrooms don't do that. As long as they have liquid that they can wick up, they will stay moist because the structure is based on chitin, not based on protein. Or And it doesn't break down because it's not, so it doesn't squeeze too hard. And unlike things like uh, pectin-based things, pectin breaks down as it cooks, like a potato uh, will break down, vegetables break down. Mushroom, not a vegetable, won't break down, can't overcook it. So that's uh, one. And two, when you... Uh, when you rehydrate a non-fresh mushroom, it does in fact taste better if you um, if you uh, rehydrate it in cold water. Right. So if you rehydrate it in hot water, uh, in a bunch of side by side tests, uh, you'll notice that the cold water one <clears throat> does in fact uh, taste better. And I have a, I have a lot more, but those I'll give you those two now, and we'll 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 sprinkle our mushroom. Are those are those good, John? Yeah. Those? yeah, yeah. I didn't know the first one. I mean, I know you can overcook them, but I didn't know why. So that was yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. But they shrink by like 50%. It's yeah. crazy. Like the amount of shrinkage is, is, uh, I have a, 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 in the book, I have pictures of it, of, of like the, the time stages of it shrinking and then a chart of mushroom density versus time cooking. And it's, it's crazy. The amount of shrinkage. Yeah. It's going to be a page turner. Oh my God! People are like, I, I can't wait to see how much this mushroom's gonna shrink. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, it'll be good. no one's gonna, no one's gonna do that. No one's gonna do that. I didn't, uh, I didn't do, I didn't do anything. I don't, I didn't do anything with truffles. It's not about. In fact, most of the stuff in the book is about um, like standard mushrooms, mainly because. Uh, there are a million people who have written books on like XYZ fancy mushroom, right? And I was just more like, what is it about mushrooms? Plus also, I think crappy mushrooms are delicious. Yeah. I think we all need- mushrooms are delicious. All, yeah, mushrooms are delicious. Uh, Patrick Ciccone writes in, gas stoves uh, have been in the news recently and on my mind. Uh, as my wife and I have a newborn in our apartment, uh, on my mind as a, my wife and I have a newborn in our apartment. Congrats. Uh, we have a standard, i.e. awful, hot point stove with two pilot lights on the burner and a pilot light in the oven. Most of my cooking in this kitchen is done on an induction hob, a Cuisinart steam oven, and a microwave. When I do use the range, I always open a window, whatever the weather, but I'm wondering if there are concerns about pollution from just the pilot combustion going all day and night. And uh, should I switch over to something uh, with electric ignition and no pilots? The gas supply is too inconvenient to access to just keep the whole thing off, except when it's in use. Unfortunately, not enough power in the kitchen to go full induction, or electric uh, oven plus gas. The kitchen is galley-sized and off a hallway, so it is not open into a living space in the bedrooms directly, even though the apartment is very big, uh, though I have no idea what pollutants travel in air. All right, what I'm about to tell you is not okay or safe, uh, but uh, I always turn my pilot lights off and light with a torch. Uh, 100% of the time, I turn my pilots off and light with a torch. It's not safe because you could inadvertently turn the gas on, and then there's gas pouring into your house, Right. Uh, I will say this, when uh, I, uh, my oven pilots, I blow out my oven pilots uh, in the, um, 
in this in the summer and I light them in the in the winter, right? Because my my oven makes the house very hot uh, if it's on all the time with its pilots. Uh, and I'll tell you this: if you, I don't know, I haven't seen any data, but if anyone paints in a house, paints anywhere near a house that has pilot lights on, you get this horrible smell because things that you can't smell from the paint get burnt in the pilot lights. And so, like, I can tell if someone's been painting anywhere near me based on the pilots in, in, in my oven. So I know that it does produce things, but I don't know how bad they are or, or kind of what the answer is. If you're willing to take, uh, as, as Booker would say, if you're willing to take the risk, you can just disable your pilots and light them with a torch, which is what I do and what a lot of people in in kitchens do when they know they're using it all the time and there's not a, an issue where gas is, is going to build up because pilots are finicky anyway. Let's be honest. Pilots suck. Um, you know, was this, what, what do you think, John? Is this an okay answer? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, I, look, I don't want to tell you to do something un, unsafe, but I do know that I, when I used to live in an industrial loft, I had a gas oven and the pilots were on all the time. And I had, you know, I had a, a garland, a six burner garland gas range. I had, uh, a salamander. I didn't keep the pilots in my fryer on, but I had the pilots and also in the, in the stove on all the time. And there were constantly people working. And so um, fumes would come up and the smell. I also had a gas, one of those indoor blue flame gas uh, heaters because I was living illegally in this loft. And so on the weekends, there was no heat. And the first year we were living there, I looked at pictures the other day. And there was no heat. And it was just something we accepted. You know, we were in our 20s. We're like, ah, so we don't have heat. You know what I mean? And it's New York, so it's cold. You know what I mean? Big, leaky windows. There too, yeah. yeah. big, leaky, leaky windows. <laughs> no heat. And so you look back at these pictures, and we're just, like, inside having dinner in parkas. We're just sitting there in parkas. We're like, this is normal. The heat will come on in, like, two days. This is fine. I can do this for two days a week, you know? And so then they, they started selling these uh, no-vent indoor blue flame gas units, and so I started heating it with, with gas. And when that thing was running all the time, oh, my God, anyone in the building paints or, or uses, like, their laser cutter and whatnot. And it would, it would make the um, volatile suddenly detectable by burning them. So I don't know what the answer is. All right. Austin Gibbs was at a catered event, and one of the dishes was grilled steak that was super tender and delicious. When I asked the guy what the cut was, he says that it was the tail of the tenderloin, but uh, he couldn't remember the actual name of it. Is there a name for the tail of the tenderloin? Would love to maybe ask a butcher if they have any kicking around from their filet mignon orders. My Googles didn't produce a satisfactory answer. I think it's literally just that. It's like a tenderloin is like a tube with a tail on the end of it, right? And what you need to do is you need to make friends with an actual butcher, Right? And say, hey, can you save me? The problem is this. You need to find not only that, but someone who realizes that maybe it wasn't going to be. You need to find someone who does a lot of butchering of tenderloins. So here's the friend you need to make. You need to make a friend who is a butcher, not for individual humans, but like for a restaurant, right? Then they're going to butcher all those filets. They might be willing to cut you a rate, save up like those tails and cut you a rate, right? But the average person who sells to Jamokes on the street is just going to sell the tail at the same price that they sell the rest of it, that, right? So you need to find someone who's doing portioning, right? So my, my old butcher used to sell to restaurants. Like when I lived on 38th Street, the loft I was just telling you about, he used to sell to restaurants, and he would save me specific cuts that the restaurants didn't want, and I could get cut a rate on that stuff. So you need to make friends with some butchers because 
they might have something that can cut you a rate. But I've never seen someone selling just a t- – I haven't looked, but I haven't seen someone selling just a tail portion for less money, right? That's the key thing, for less money, you know? And if you were buying them and you wanted to make filet mignon out of them, you could also just meat glue those sons of guns together, like tip to tip. I mean, sorry, tip to tail, turn them like triangle to triangle, like it's a fish, and turn them into tubes. That's what I do when I buy whole filets, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Is that a good answer? That makes yeah, sense? I'm trying to see. I can't find a specific name, just tail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all know what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the questions? Are grains you purchase from grocery stores, uh, like sorghum, uh, deactivated? Uh, to prevent them from sprouting. I soak some sorghum overnight, drain them, and then let them hang out at room temperature for a little over a week, and none of them sprouted. Uh, it's likely it's something I'm doing wrong on my end and not the product, but I wanted to rule it out before buying more grain. I've never, I never, I don't really sprout things, but, I mean, I have sprouted things, but I don't really sprout things a lot. But, yes, grains in general, unless they have been hulled or pearled, are generally viable, right? They're not, unless it says it's been toasted, hulled, or pearled, it should be sproutable and i looked on the internets and people are sprouting sorghum and they're not like usually when something is a problem people are like hey yo this is a problem you got to buy this specific sorghum and no one did um but there's one person who is like be careful but then no one else did so look it up someone's like be careful cyanide but then i didn't trust their reference and i didn't have time to dig into it so you know whatever but i, I can't say it's 100 percent safe because i didn't do all the research but I don't think it's unsafe. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, other than the fact that, like, sprouts will poison you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like, listen, I know that everyone who knows me knows I say I don't like sprouts. It's not that I don't like all sprouts. I specifically don't like alfalfa sprouts and wheatgrass. Right? Mm-hmm. Mung bean sprouts, good. Mm-hmm. Especially if you cook mung bean sprouts, good. I just think raw sprouts a lot of times taste like the filth that they're grown in. When was the last time you sealed up some, like, got, kept something wet for a week, went back to it, and were like, yum. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't work for socks. Why would it work for sprouts? You know what I mean? I don't know. They smell a little filthy to me. I guess you can rinse them. Or you could cook them. Huh. Are you a sprout guy, John? I mean, I don't hate it. I hate them. I Joe, like, oh, Joe them. sprouts? I like sprouts. Yeah. Quinn, what are we worried about? Jack, Nastasia, what do you guys think? I'm, I'm indifferent. Yeah, indifferent. Let me ask you this: yeah. If you, if someone hands you a sandwich, and you're like, "Oh, you're gonna have a fried chicken sandwich," and then they hand it to you, and it's got a pile of those stringy, stringy alfalfa, dry stringy alfalfa sprouts on it, and when you eat it, they like stick in your freaking teeth, and you spit them out when you say things. Is that fun? You like that? I. Don't think of it the same way as you do. Uh, it's gross. <laughs> it's gross. Uh, all right, how much time? Ago? Take what it's playing. Um, I don't know. Is there any questions in the, in the Patreon? I feel like a yeah. We do have one more Discord. All right, what do you well, got? We have a few Discord what do you questions. Got? Did you ever try to make the miracle fat injected pork? Okay, uh, I've done some preliminary tests, but I haven't. What I need to do is emulsify the fat because the stuff that they add has—it's not just fat. It's I think it's duck fat, salt, sugar, and 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 like maybe like a, a broth of some kind. So I have done a little bit of testing, but I haven't done a fully like. I need to get some tickaloid and make like an injectable thing to get you a real answer. But everyone on Earth needs to be eating. If you eat pork, you should be eating magic pork. All right. All right. 
cooking issues. 